Hello everybody, this is Fitter Food Radio, Matt Whitmore and of course Keris Marsden as always. Good morning. Is it still morning? It yeah. is. It feels like a really yes. long day today. <laughs> uh, it kind of feels like it should be afternoon by now. But uh, guys, we have an, an, a great guest on the show today. His name is Humphrey Bacchus. Um, he works for a company called Invivo Clinical. I've never met the guy. Keris has. And she says nothing but good things about you, Humphrey. <laughs> um, and I'm going to hand straight over to you because some of you might be thinking, who is this Humphrey guy? What is Invivo Clinical? And I asked Humphrey before we kind of started the recording what it was and he gave an, a, an amazing explanation of what it was so I'm going to hand straight over to you buddy but first of all how are you? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good this morning actually pretty good nice relaxing weekend so awesome. yeah feeling good, ready man. for the week so yeah tell us what is Invivo Clinical mate? So Invivo Clinical was started a, dec- a decade ago uh, by our founder who is an exercise physiologist really as a it's a hub. Uh, we were kind of a distribution or services hub for practitioners, private practitioners uh, working in integrative uh, healthcare and functional medicine um, and preventative healthcare so that we can provide 360-degree services uh, in uh, specialist laboratory diagnostics, uh, therapeutics and medical foods and clinical education so that we can really so that we can kind of give clinicians a fantastic toolbox or toolkit uh, that they can go out there, work with their patients or their clients to create uh, better patient outcomes. Awesome. I mean, I suppose I should um, just say how I met Humphrey. I was actually at um, a meeting of British Association of Nutritional Therapists and you came along to present on um, the GI map, which is one of the latest kind of innovations yeah. in stool testing. And um, what I loved was you did an amazing presentation on kind of the history of gut health, how it's uh, how we've kind of come to realise its importance. Um, but you mentioned that you've been around for quite a while, haven't you, in terms of being in, would you call it alternative or in, in integrative medicine? Integrative medicine? Yeah. yeah, I suppose so. I mean, it, it's... Um, I, you know, I had a practice for a decade uh, before I joined Aviva Clinical. I actually originally uh, trained in a sort of physical therapist in the States working in ortho and neuro rehab. Um, I came from a background a long time ago, having done, you know, sport all the way through my life, you know, played pretty much rugby six days a week for the best part of a decade when I was younger as well, to just having a myriad of different injuries over time. Um, and then basically moved to London, ended up having a, you know, relatively uh, unhealthy lifestyle. Uh, you know, there was, as I kind of got back into sport and got back into doing, uh, you know, looking after myself, really, I think it was in an era where there wasn't so much, so much online help. I kind of, you know, was having to kind of resource all this stuff myself and I was doing a lot of kickboxing. I suddenly realized that my, uh, my love of, sort of you know, science and sport um, and healthcare was not, was not really being matched by my sort of lifestyle working in the music industry, actually. So I took the plunge and uh, had a complete rethink about what I wanted to do, how I wanted to work with people. And so I moved to the States, um, to Colorado, uh, ended up getting a secondary uh, degree and ended up working in uh, sort of ortho and neuro rehab and sports medicine. And that was really where I sort of, you know, started that um, the sort of work in, in the kind of the physical realm. But pretty, pretty soon, having kind of worked in that, I... I realised that that had its had its kind of its limitations and the kind of caveats, and got really really interested in what were the other reasons why people basically became perpetually inflamed or couldn't get better uh, or um, kept on getting injured, and it was it was more than just uh, biomechanics. So then I did a postgrad in clinical nutrition, and then you know kind of a, a little bit by chance. 
so stumbled across this, having kind of looked online for impact of the adrenals and circadian rhythms and kind of sleep patterns on on inflammation. Stumbled across this very common thing called functional medicine about a decade ago, um, which kind of made just complete sense to me uh, as a clinician. It, it, it made sense because it was about how, how all the different uh, systems of the body start talking to each other. The GI system wasn't this kind of uh, system that just worked completely independently, that it had uh, messenger signals that got sent to the brain, uh, got sent to the cardiovascular system, the immune system, uh, immune system inflammation pathways. And suddenly it was the first kind of first thing that really made more sense to me uh, in medicine uh, and healthcare than, than pretty much anything else I'd ever kind of come across. Uh, that was yeah, I sort of bit over a de- you know over a decade ago now, and uh, it's just absolutely fantastic to see that this is that this kind of systems biology or uh, integrated systems in the body has become is becoming more mainstream. Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm just seriously excited about it, and uh, that's kind of how I ended up you know coming on board in Vivo Clinical. I was using their services for most of my clinical career in the UK. And then when I sort of wanted to move a little bit sideways, and I got asked to come on as a clinical director, which was sort of just over three years ago, it felt like a great fit and a great move, uh, just because the philosophy of the company is really integrating physical medicine, lifestyle medicine, uh, laboratory diagnostics, you know, education uh, in in the whole, which is really exciting. I mean, how, how I mean, because because ten years, I suppose, in in this industry is it's like you know. Ten years is, I suppose, it's like the equivalent of like a hundred years, isn't it? <laughs> you know, in terms of how things change. So, what would you say yeah. has been like? I suppose the biggest changes that you've seen over the last ten years. Would you say? Cool. That's difficult. Yeah, difficult to say. I mean, I think one of the things that, because of my background, I think one of the things that's come more and more to the forefront, which is which is sort of exciting, and it's in, in some ways as we go forward, we go backwards, which is the original naturopathic principles of looking at you know, lifestyle, sleep, relationships, emotions, was really the kind of the core tenet of, mm. of, of health. And if the way that those then affect all the other systems, and I think we kind of lost track of that a little bit, you know, for a while. And it's nice to see there's a sort of reconsideration of the importance of those factors, just as we kind of go around now. I mean, it's fantastic to see Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, you know, on, on BBC One doing his Doctor in the House program, which is really coming back to some pretty basic principles of, mm-hmm. you know, nutrition, movement. I mean, without these things, nothing else works. So yeah. although we're obviously, I know we're going to delve into a little bit more stuff around the kind of the gut, the inflammation, the immune system, all of these are also dependent upon those real kind of basic building blocks. And I think sometimes, as you know, we both said, it's, it's, it's easy to kind of in the in the clinical realm to kind of inverted commas geek out a little bit on kind of biomarkers, um, but we forget that it's a human being, you know, that, that that's in front of us that uh, you know lives in lives in this world where things are not quite as um, simplistic as you know elevations in biomarkers. So. I think that's always really important to remember. It's something that we always hold as a company is that, you know, the real people in front of us, they're not they're not a result from mm-hmm. a test. I think that's just absolutely key. And we're certainly seeing a bit more of a, a refocus on that uh, in the last, you know, kind of few years, which I'm, I'm really excited to see. I think also what's really nice is you mentioned, um, so one of the tests we're going to talk about today, the GI map, is also being used um, actually by NHS in the UK in terms of their... Um, almost like an emergency diagnostic tool for something like uh, gastroenteritis or a really severe gut infection. Um, so it's absolutely. almost like we're seeing yeah, kind absolutely. Of the two it's, are actually coming close together now. It is. It's kind of, I think what's kind of happening, I think some of the biggest emergen- emergences in 
sort of sort of you know gut assessment. Okay, so I think one of the things that's really changed in the in the last kind of few years is really the ability uh, for us to get a little bit more specific and sensitive. Uh, two kind of keywords are used in lab diagnostics. So the specificity of the marker, so kind of how specific you be against a specific bacteria, and then how sensitive you are in terms of how many you know sort of. Uh, how many organisms you can kind of you know measure of that bacteria whereas before we were always reliant on looking through a microscope to see the bugs so parasitology you know so you want to you know look through a microscope and see how see what the bugs are and so you can identify them we now have these amazing new novel highly specific and highly sensitive techniques uh, which are molecular techniques so using you know extractions of dna from the bugs in certain kind of samples this has allowed kind of much faster diagnoses of uh, bacteria and toxins within the gastrointestinal tract uh, and viral pathogens as well. And so certain parts of this panel, um, sort of, which is uh, which is run by us, are now being used uh, excitingly within certain uh, parts of the NHS as well, so that they don't have to send, when somebody's critically ill, they don't have to send one part of the sample to virology, one part of the sample to parasitology, uh, and then for the bacteria, send them to be cultured so you can kind of grow the bacteria and see kind of what's and that's really exciting because for patient outcomes to be able to basically turn these tests around mm-hmm. and look at uh, viral parasitic and bacterial pathogens very very quickly means ultimately in acute cases and we're not as a company dealing with acute cases we're dealing with kind of pe- uh, people from the uh, from the chronic and wellness perspective but you're able to identify and locate uh, these uh, potential pathogens and obviously be able to kind of create uh, faster and quicker uh, strategies in order to get them well. So in terms of um, one thing we should perhaps clarify here is if, um, say, I come back from traveling and I don't feel too hot and I've got kind of symptoms of, you know, IBS or bloating, sickness, and I go to a GP, they they will run a stool test on you, but it's not the same as what you guys offer with the GI map. Can you kind of tell our listeners what the difference might be in terms of what your GP does when they do a stool test, what they're looking for, and the level yep. of detail that you guys go to? Yeah, of course. So, you know, traditionally speaking, uh, historically, you know, we kind of use a kind of uh, culture and parasitology method. method. Uh, so if you go to your GP, if they ask you for the critical thing is, you know, I remember when I was traveling, I got, you know, really acutely ill in the pool. And so I went to the uh, I went to the doctor and they said, OK, you've got to do a stool sample. Basically, we've got to find out what bugs there are. And at the time, they just did one sample. Now, if you're acutely ill, a single sample and you're riddled with, I don't know, Giardia, for example, um, they're going to see it. But typically speaking, because just the nature of trying to catch bugs is that really you need to have a minimum of three samples over three days. Now, apart from the inconvenience of that and the kind of difficulty of collecting the samples, and if you're really ill, you might not want to wait that long, uh, there are kind of limitations on being able to identify those bugs. Really, that's what it is. All those specific bacteria that might be causing the problem because you might have to grow them, and sometimes some of the bugs you can't grow or you can't culture, so you can't always identify them. So the beauty of the... And that's that's pretty much what's available nationwide, uh, which has been it's been great. It served us incredibly well. It served us incredibly well for the last you know hundred years or so. But things change, uh, and what we have now is the ability to be more sensitive, more specific, faster turnaround times, single sample, uh, and drill down into kind of more detail as to what bugs are causing what, whereas some traditional kind of tests might not be able to pick up particular toxins or specific bacteria. Now with this methodology, 
this kind of molecular or DNA uh, testing uh, in samples allows us to just be far more specific, uh, I guess, really to eradicate what we call false negatives. So the ability to, you know, there's a negative, but actually it's not a negative. It's just because you haven't been able to see the bug or locate it within the sample. Uh, so those with these, this new testing we're able to do is obviously just drill down and make this uh, much less frequently occur. Awesome. So can you talk through some of the, the, the key things that you're looking at? You've already mentioned kind of parasites and um, kind of um, viral uh, pathogens. And there's yeah. more, you, you, you're kind of looking at more extensive um, um, you know, varieties on your test compared to what a GP might look at. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, I think, you know, really kind of things fall into kind of two, two categories within the kind of traditional allopathic medical model. So we've got what we call true pathogens, uh, which are generally considered to be uh, pathogenic or cause problems in, in most individuals. Uh, and then we have the, the kind of the other bacteria uh, and, and also parasites as well, yeast and fungi, uh, which may or may not cause ill health in individuals, depending on maybe the immune status of the health host. So there's a lot of things that we know that if you've got a poor immune system or you're run down, you're far more likely to basically pick up other bugs that might cause problems for you than if you're just a really healthy individual. And the critical thing to remember is the majority of pathogens are self-limiting, as in they will resolve themselves, uh, you know, with a healthy immune system. So we kind of split the test into two sections. So one is the traditional pathogens, which are the ones that you know, pretty much, you know, uh, all uh, medical, established medical practitioners would recognize as being problematic for that individual. And then the second half is kind of more drilling down into the sort of the subtleties of whether or not, you know, imbalances, as we know now from just the thousands and thousands or hundreds of thousands of pieces of peer-reviewed literature which are out there really now around imbalances, what we call imbalances or dysbiosis, so uh, not having normal bacterial uh, function or immune function within the gastrointestinal tract, which can cause, if not uh, the same, if not worse, kind of uh, imbalances or illness uh, or ill health in individuals than if you have um, a traditional pathogen, which would typically be cleared with an antibacterial or an anti antiparasitic agent, uh, pharmaceutical agent. So we drill down really, I mean, that we would consider the pathogens really to be only about a third of what's really important in a test because you can then start drilling down into uh, what we call the normal bacterial flora. So these are kind of uh, bacteria which are expected to be in absolutely every single individual person. Everybody has bacteria in their gut, you know, like, you know, billions of them. Uh, but it, what really what we're looking at is, okay, well, what are the what are the kind of the balance of these bacteria? Is it, is it, is it within kind of a, a sort of a normal patient population? And it's difficult to define absolutely, but we're getting a much better understanding as time goes on. And every single year, there's more and more literature published uh, to be able to understand in normal circumstances, what does a healthy gut look like? Um, what are the, what's the kind of the, uh, what's the immune function? Is there any inflammation in the gut? Uh, what are the, what's the digestive process going on? And all of these things have like a really fantastic dynamic interplay to influence um, whether or not someone's uh, digestive function or, or, or GI or gastrointestinal health uh, is working at an optimal level. Isn't it, um, I mean, that's a brilliant explanation. Isn't it also kind of a bit chicken and egg in terms of if somebody isn't digesting their food very well, perhaps again because of some sort of enzyme deficiency, stomach acid deficiency, or, you know, the way they eat their food perhaps, is then causing deficiencies of the whole body, which means the immune system isn't particularly robust and then therefore they can't almost you know, kind of keep 
pathogens under control, infections under control, so you kind of get that uncontrolled inflammation taking place. Yeah, it's, I mean, people, people don't realise that, you know, if you don't sit down mindfully and, and, and quietly eat and chew your food properly, that, uh, you know, if you're stressed when you sit down to eat, you actually reduce, uh, reduce the amount of digestive enzymes which are secreted in the saliva. So, you know, if you're stressed and you're eating on the move, you're walking around or things like that, you're immediately impairing your digestion from the very moment that you put food into your mouth. So therefore you're getting, uh, you know, undigested, you know, carbohydrates starting to be kind of processed, which are then passed down, which just puts a strain. So therefore undigested foods which are passed through will create a strain uh, all the way through the digestive tract. Uh, and obviously it will have more of an impact on some individuals than, than others. Uh, and we also know that, you know, stress can influence uh, the immune activity in the gut, which then can kind of create less of a, you know, I think lots of your listeners will probably have heard of inverted commas leaky gut, which kind of naturopathic practice practitioners used to kind of get laughed at a little bit. You know, good kind of like, you know, sort of 15, 20 years ago, uh, as this thing that, you know, you call leaky gut, there was a, a more of a theory back then than anything. But uh, a wonderful uh, doctor and research scientist called uh, uh, Dr. Fasano uh, discovered that there is actually something called intestinal permeability. Um, where these little junctions or these tight gaps, uh, which should be closed within the gut wall, can kind of be kind of wedged open, uh, and then these incomplete digested particles of food or proteins can kind of leak through into the bloodstream and then cause an immune and inflammation response. So we know there's a big complex dynamic interplay uh, between our environment and, and, and how we function, how we sleep, uh, how much exercise we do. So there's a balance between doing too little and doing too much. We know that when you do too much exercise from an athletic perspective, you're more liable also if you create a lot of stress or a lot of load on your body to be able to increase things like leaky gut. Uh, if you don't do enough, you're also at risk of the same thing comes back to that word balance doesn't it it's like why we call it uh you know it's about the balance in the gut it's not about kind of pushing things too far one way or the other and i think we've come back to a test like ours the gi map that's really what we're looking at we're really looking to identify uh, any potential kind of nasties but then at the same time let's have a look at the balance let's see what you you know the balance of the immune system let's look at the how much inflammation is there? Let's look at your digestive function. Let's look at the kind of the the, uh, the amounts of kind of good bacteria versus bad bacteria in very very highly detailed uh, amounts, which is you know which is very very accurate, which is what this new methodology has allowed us to do. So I think I mean it's I mean like you said the key, the key word there is balance, and it's probably a word that we mention on a daily basis when when working with people and trying to you know find it within their lifestyle. Um, but it'd be interesting to, I mean, have, have you done these tests with many athletes at all? Because I always think, you know, if you look at, I suppose, more kind of like endurance-based athletes that are, in, are training for huge, you know, huge durations each day, multiple training sessions per day to support such training, um, their, their diets obviously tend to be very, very carb-rich, probably from a more processed source in order just to kind of get the calories and the energy in. Have you worked with any athletes to where you've kind of seen what their guts are like? We, we, are, you know, as a, as a company, we don't necessarily always know the, uh, the exact nature of all the individuals that obviously use our testing, but we do have a number of obviously clinicians that focus highly uh, or, or massively on elite athletes. So I think there's a pattern 
as I said, yeah, we kind of work on kind of two ends of the spectrum. You know, you can be kind of focused on health, you can be focused on performance, mm. but you can also be kind of creating ill health within your, your system just because of the limits you're pushing yourself. The flip side of that is the other end of the spectrum, uh, which is a lot of clinicians then, you know, or, or, or uh, uh, practitioners are working with people that are coming to them with, you know, uh, you know, long-term IBS-like symptoms or, you know, skin conditions, psoriasis, eczema, autoimmune disorders. So we know from the literature that there's a, a huge increased risk of, uh, sort of gastrointestinal upset uh, with heavy training loads, and particularly endurance athletes. Uh, they're kind of, you know, right, right at the, uh, you know, the upper end of that spectrum. But it's across the board. Uh, it's really, you know, it comes down to, you know, lack of sleep, for example, lack of recovery, lack of, training, yeah. you know, sort of will, will, will all impact the health of the gut. If the gut's not working properly, then pretty much it's difficult to get anything else working properly in the body. It's, 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 you know, it's absolutely foundational. It's, it's kind of certainly, uh, from my perspective, from my clinical practice, and certainly, you know, when you look at the, I suppose when you look at this kind of the skew and the popularity of uh, all the testing as a company that we offer clinicians, GI or gastrointestinal testing probably accounts for 75 plus percent of all the testing that we do as a company mm-hmm. you know it's 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 absolutely uh, foundational uh it's always almost the kind of first test that i would run with alongside really you know blood chemistries comprehensive metabolic profiles you know lipids insulin glucose those types of things i would also always run like a, a something like the gi map oh, i mean is it, you mentioned earlier as well about um kind of like you know the, the state of which you actually consume your food because uh, mm. we, we often say don't we it's not necessarily what you ate but potentially how you ate it and the environment that you ate it in because you could yeah. eat two perfectly you know on paper healthy meals but you know if one of them's sat outside al fresco watching the world go by taking your time and whatever and the other one exact same meal but you're sat at your desk um, uh, uh, you know amongst a huge deadline that you absolutely hate and you're scoffing that meal down your as quick as you possibly can, chances are there's going to be some discomfort there. Yeah. I think the classic thing that we always hear is, well, how can, you know, sometimes I think, you know, how come, you know, like, how come when I'm kind of on holiday, I can kind of like, you know, eat bread and not yeah. get bloated, and then when I basically like eat it when I'm, you know, kind of at work or I'm busy, that I basically do. And it's like, well, maybe it's as simple as basically that you're more relaxed. That's <laughs> just... Uh, you know, the, you're not you're not stressed. You're not running from A to B. I think that's why I said it comes back to. I think there's just a more and more sort of focus, which is really exciting, just on trying to get people to achieve really, really focus on the simple things. You know, that work, or mm-hmm. to focus on the things that give you the you know, coin and a phrase from my education. Give focus on things that give you the biggest bang for your buck. Yeah. You know, you just you know, and that is. You know that that is like sitting down to eat. That's regular exercise. That's uh, those are all really really important. Um, and then like making sure that you know your you know your glucose balance, your inflammation, your lipids. You know all of those things alongside the gut health are all in all, all in good balance and shape. So Humphrey, um, I know you work with so practitioners can call you and talk through uh, test results as well once they mm. come through if they kind of want to run through the client case with you. So um, would you mind sharing kind of what you're seeing as very kind of common issues? coming up um on the tests if there's anything that's kind of standing out yeah so i think for most of us we we infrequently see kind of uh, you know complicated pathogens appearing because the majority of those have been handled within the kind of primary care environment the only exception to that i guess is where someone's got a lot of inflammation in the gut and they might have got a diagnosis of 
colitis, but actually what they've missed is the ability to identify a specific toxin, uh, which comes from specific bacteria, uh, which might be which might be the primary source of the inflammation. So if you can eradicate that bacterial toxins, you basically get rid of the colitis, uh, rather than just kind of like you know just continuing on thinking, okay, well I'm just going to have to take lots of steroids just to manage it. It's like you've missed the the root cause. Yeah. So that is quite common. Uh, outside of that. The majority of the cases we see are really depleted immune secretions, so low secretory IgA, low mucosal health, low barrier between the kind of the, the gut has a barrier between the internal and the external world. So that's really what the gut is. The gut is our barrier between the internal and external world. But there are these little secretions that come out of uh, this tissue, uh, which sort of coat it, I suppose, and, and give us a kind of a, a mucosal barrier, which kind of helps to get rid of bacteria, to kind of bring down inflammation. Uh, and we so we see the mark that marker depleted a lot in probably 95% of cases. And I think that comes back to those things. It's pe- people are stressed, people are not really sleeping well, they're not eating clean foods, they've got massive exposure to, to you know, sort of uh, you know, pesticides, herbicides, uh, fluoride in the water. Uh, and it's often not the exposure, it's the, the frequency of the exposure. You know, we're used to, our body's really, really good at like dealing with these things all the time, uh, it, but in small doses, but a small dose repeatedly all the time every single day you know slowly slowly wears you down you know you talk about you know elite sport uh, sort of marginal gains but I think you can reverse that round as well you know it can be a hundred little small things that you're exposed to frequently which can kind of cause ill health in the gastrointestinal system and ill health in you it doesn't sometimes people are just always looking for the magic bullet They're looking for that that big single item or big single event which has kind of caused you know all ill health yeah, and I just don't see it like that. I think you know it's, it's far more subtle than that. Uh, and I always used to explain it to patients, saying, you know, so imagine you're running a bath and you've only got you know kind of uh, you know one overflow at the top of the bath. You've got a couple of taps running. You know, though it's fine. You can still deal with the overflow. Then you put another couple more on, and maybe that you know that overflow can you know can can still deal with it. But sometimes all it takes is for one more tap to be running, and suddenly the bath is overflowing. It's not that idea, the straw that broke the camel's back. It wasn't the straw, it's just the accumulative load. And I think that's really critical. And so that's kind of what we're, we're starting to you know, see in the gut is, is it's a cumulative load. It's not necessarily, it's a balance between enzyme function, you know, mucosal activity, inflammation, maybe some kind of overexposure to kind of environmental molds. Maybe it's... Uh, Maybe they've had lots of antibiotics and they've got an imbalance in the normal bacterial flora. You haven't got enough healthy bacteria. Maybe you've got an overgrowth of uh, potential, you know, bacteria which can kind of like uh, trigger, um, you know, psoriasis or or eczema or potentially be implicated in autoimmune conditions. So it's it's very rarely is it just sort of one marker. That's why we. I mean, it's the GI. It's called the GI map, and you can think of it in two ways. The the map bit actually stands for sort of microbial assay plus. But actually, the nice thing about it is it's a map. It's, a, it's an overview. What you're looking at is all the roads that lead between all the independent markers. And that's really what you need to look at. And that's why we're kind of taking a zooming out and looking in functional medicine at, a, at an approach where you're looking at the way that all the different systems interact. But you also need to zoom out and look at the way that the, you know, the pathogens and the normal bacterial flora and the GI health markers all talk to each other. Uh, that's really critical. So that's kind of what we're, how we kind of help clinicians and how we often always have, we have a lot of patients that come to us as well and say, look, 
you know, my GP won't give me, won't run any tests on me. Can I run something like this? Because huge amounts of patients and 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 kind of uh, health aware individuals are really aware of the of the ability to run, I guess, more comprehensive testing. And so, what we do, we do offer a service where individuals can can run we run those tests with us, but the results have to be sent to a healthcare provider of their choice. So that is obviously something you know that's that's, that's also available. It's, it's really interesting you made that point because um, so Matt and I have done our own kind of um, yeah, own testing. We've done organic acids, we've done stool testing in the past, we've done mediated release tests, which was <laughs> which was interesting. But we both, I mean, the outcomes for us, um, we like your kind of mentioning. At first, we were both looking for a trigger for our kind of digestive symptoms. Like one thing: is it a parasite? Is it a yeast overgrowth? And, and sometimes it would come back a number of things. But what we learned was kind of following the rules to the letter, which, you know, we were doing because we kind of wanted to get well and train and do all the stuff we loved, um, didn't bring us the health. So we were kind of like, okay, so, okay, there are gut infections there, but actually treating them isn't making us feel any different. Um, And we went on kind of a really big journey with the the kind of mental, emotional side of, of, of stress and how that's affecting our gut and also kind of stepping away from everything from kind of our attachment to training, working really hard, you know, being a perfectionist and things like that. All of these things kind of came out. And that's the only way we finally got to a better place. And Matt still has a bit of a two steps forward, one step back, because he still loves the intensity of, he, like you, was rugby. And he's just taken up boxing, which I'm literally like face palming about. But um, I said, if you're going to box, because he's kind of working with a boxing coach at the moment, I've seen some of his stuff on um, that he's been filming. It's really intense. I've said, then you've got to go back and, and make sure your gut is absolutely 100% looked after in all, all this process. So all his powders and enzymes are out on the side. And he's like, oh, here we go again. If you're going to go down this route of, you know, you like the intensity of the training, it's pro-inflammatory, it's highly aggressive on the body. And also, you know, they've got to be the rest days in between, the restorative stuff, the deep breathing. And luckily we live out in, in Kent now, so our environment's a little bit healthier than London. But um, it's really interesting that you say that because I, and I have the same thing with clients now where they, they almost feel relieved if a parasite comes up. But I almost kind of look at the rest of the picture and even things like the, the infrastructure more so now because I think that is actually the source of probably most of the symptoms not the, the parasite necessarily but you know exactly I think I talked about that when I come and talk to groups and I go out and chat to you know to clinics and clinicians and doctors and GI specialists one of the things I say is you know like it's very easy just to kind of you need to ask why why you got infected in the in the first place you know potentially with something because you know unless something's incredibly aggressive often there's just there's depletion in the system yeah, you know and that, yeah. and that opens up the body to to to, to kind of create these imbalances uh, and then when you don't have enough good bacteria you're more liable to basically pick up you know uh, get overgrowth of the but you know the badder bacteria or pick up infections so this is you know this is where it's you know it is really good it does come down to kind of you know re- you know recovering as we know you know the more you train the more you need to recover it's uh, uh yeah really really critical you know we're not you can't just kind of keep on you know s- squeezing out both ends and and just expecting that you know, I think when you're younger, you know, you have maybe a little less, little less pressures in some respects. I know that certainly when I was doing a huge amount of sport when I was younger, you know, luckily, you know, I had some, I lived at home with my mum and dad, and then you know, had my washing done and meals cooked, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, all these sorts of yeah. things. And you don't realise how Easy much pressure that takes off, uh, and then you don't have like the work element, and then you should, and, you, and uh, you know, sadly, I'm certainly not getting any younger, so I kind of have to be more prepared to look after all those other little things uh the imbalances that might be that might be kind of causing causing distress to the overall system do you know it's funny though because 
I always, I was had this conversation with somebody the other day. I mean, I'm 31, you know, so I'm not by old, I'm not old at all. Um, but you know, when I work with clients who are like in their forties, fifties, and they always refer back to, oh, when I was in my twenties or whatever, you know, I could do this, I could do that. And, and I always say to them, yeah, but it's not necessarily because, oh, when you're this age, you can do it. And when you're this age, you can't. And it does go back to what you mentioned earlier, that kind of accumulative effect. And, and it's, it's not as simple as that, you know, once you hit your forties, you're just automatically less capable of doing X, Y, and Z chances are what you did in your 20s and 30s probably plays a role of where you are at in your 40s if that makes sense and yeah. um and i think as well like for a lot of people it's it's kind of being able to kind of maybe take a step back and just build the foundations again because i mean i've not really put this out there yet because i don't want to be one of those annoying people that goes on about it all the time but i've actually got a place in the london marathon uh <laughs> next year and I mean, if, if you saw me, you'd kind of see that I'm not really built like a runner. Um, I don't really like running, but I did say to Keris, like, if I'm going to do this, like, I want to do it properly. And I don't, and I know that my kind of like gut health isn't as good as it should be right now. I probably know that my foundations aren't as healthy as they could be. So instead of me just kind of go, jumping straight in and going like, right, I'm just going to start pounding the pavement. You know, I've said to Keris, I kind of want to get my gut health in check. I want to make sure that, you know, um, you know, I've got that solid foundation and then I'll build on that. Whereas I think a lot of people sign up for a marathon and all of a sudden they've gone from doing very little to a lot of training. And as we know, if you're training for a marathon, you know, it's no, you know, it's, it's not a casual affair. It's pretty full on, especially as you start getting closer and closer to race day. On top of that, people's like calorie intake, you know, probably goes through the roof. In fact, we know a lot of people that actually gain weight training for a marathon because they can't strike that balance between kind of energy out and energy in, um, and actually end up feeling worse than than they did before they even started training for this for this event. So I think it's so important, as you mentioned, to kind of find that balance and just get the foundations in place first, and understanding the power of good gut health in that scenario. I think yeah, you. I think you know, good gut health and and just 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 general kind of health and get yourself. I think if you probably like a lot of people, basically their own worst enemy. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're like me, you know, I put myself in the sort of I guess alpha type personality bracket. Um, I'm far better to have a coach and to try and coach myself because there's always the temptation to do more. Um, you know, and I, and I and I've seen that. You know, I've seen a friend of mine complete marathon to Sabla this year. Wow. Having a year and a half, two years ago, never really put on a running pair of running shoes ever, and that's the first thing he ever did. Wow. No uh, And you know what was incredible? Yes, there was a, there was a purpose, and they were for how why they were fundraising. You know, I basically put him in touch with my old tri coach, and uh, you just you know what it allows you to do is just to kind of get somebody to basically pull back and have an overview. It's a bit like going to see a practitioner and trying to do it all yourself. Basically, if I've got problems myself, I go and go and see somebody. I don't try and work it all out myself. I've lost a little bit of a. You can lose lose focus and you lose the ability to kind of see you know they'll see the wood from the trees. Yeah. And it's the same with training for a marathon. You know, it's it's nice to have somebody to be able to be there to be able to say, do you know what? Actually, you need to mix this up. You need to train a little bit less. Often, it's you need to train a little bit less and train smarter. Most of yeah. the time, I find that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm you know, rather than rather than just like doing more, thinking oh, I've just got to go and do another hour, another two hours, or whatever. It's often 
you get, as you know, you get you get stronger when you're resting. You don't get stronger when you're running. Well, we have to try and, uh, that's a big message that we try and get through to people. And also just to try and say, kind of do the opposite of what you have been doing that got you in this place, in this situation yeah. in the first place, yeah. which is so, such an obvious thing. But again, the people have this kind of natural, you know, default way that they like to lead their lives. And it's often, you know, some people too much of everything and then suddenly crash burn and then go, oh, okay, body doesn't like that. Um, and, and a big frustration for me as a practitioner is you get somebody well again and then they just start all over again. And it's like maybe you have to do it yeah. a few times to realise that actually there's a really happy place in between that once you get there and experience that uh, is a good thing. But I was going to ask Humphrey, would you share, I don't want you to kind of give kind of protocols because I know you guys actually don't recommend, you don't kind of say this infection needs this antimicrobial, which is I think really good. You give kind of broad overviews. but. What kind of things do you often um, suggest or, or do, you, do you train the practitioners to suggest in terms of dietary interventions, supplement interventions, or even, you know, the lifestyle stuff as well? Would you share just a kind of, I know you've mentioned bits and bobs of it, but a kind of bit of a summary. Yeah, well, I think, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's kind of there's so much stuff out there. I think it can kind of be, you know, quite overwhelming. And I think, again, you know, you kind of start with, you start with the real basics, basically. There's no point in, like, you know, putting a whole stack of supplements in unless you're doing the basics right. And I took, you know, like sleep being probably the single biggest thing that people can get right. Uh, I think, you know, making sure you don't have any type of technology in your bedroom is basically like, you know, nice diet rooms. I think it's really, really important. Um you know, eating, eating well, you know, I hate that kind of, I think this phrase has got, you know, eating clean, you know, but actually there's just eating well, there's no such thing as eating clean, it's just eating healthily, uh, so. Would you define that for us? (laughs) What's that? Would you define that for us? I know, because everyone just has their own kind of opinion of that, and. and Yeah, well, I guess, I know, it's, it's, it's kind of difficult, isn't it, but I just kind of think that you, if, if I take it down to the simplest thing, if it comes out of a packet, don't eat it. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's you know i mean i could yeah. really kind of like bring it down to that it's it's just you know as you know one of the things is you know like 80 percent, 80 percent of your plate really needs to be you look at you know look at diets over time you know 90 percent of the diet 95 is, is kind of vegetarian you know if you look at the you know the majority of people over the age of 100 years old you know most of them eat like a 95 percent vegetarian diet but they do all eat meat now of course what i would say about that is it really depends on what your what your goals are. With, with you know, if you're coming from athletic goals, it's completely different. But if you're just looking at you know health, you know your lifestyle needs to basically integrate huge amounts of movement every day. And that's not that's not like heavy heavy lifting. That's like shepherds, you know, like farming, yeah. uh, gardening, <laughs> just just movement all day. Yeah. Be more uh, <laughs> but you, that's quite a big thing for me though, because you know where people are always. I mean, because we you know we pretty much follow the eight. Classic 80-20 thing. You know, most of the time we're good. We have the odd treat. And that's kind of what we suggest most people do because, you know, promotes adherence and whatnot. Um, But, you know, when people do come back at us sometimes and they're like, yeah, but, you know, back in the Paleolithic era and all of that. And it's like, yeah, but back in the Paleolithic era, there wasn't chest day. You know what I mean? There wasn't wasn't hit. You know, people weren't doing what we do now. People weren't working from 5 a.m. till 10 p.m. People weren't working shifts, and people, I think, need to understand that, that we have evolved, you know, maybe not for the better in some some areas, but th- there needs to be that understanding that times have changed, we've changed, the demands we place on our body have changed, therefore the way we fuel it needs to change. Yeah, and I think, you know, the end of you just do the best you can. Uh, exactly. You know, there's, there's kind of, again, it comes down to 
sort of, uh, you know, I don't know if you heard this for like orthorexia, you know, it's kind yeah. of like the, the ability to try and like eat the right way all the time in itself is basically uh, a problem. Yeah, <laughs> you know, people become like obsessive compulsive about eating the right way. I'm just a fan of basically just filling your house full of like loads of really great food. And if you open the cupboard and you're hungry, you just tend to eat something that's better for you than, than not. If you have the house full of like chocolate biscuits and you open the cupboard and you're hungry, you're more likely to eat them. It's a sort of, it's a bit of forward planning really. Um, so yeah, I'm not massively, but I, th- I think, uh, you know, I feel that, yeah, the, when we come down to it, so the more movement you do, the better sleep you have, those types of things, then, you know, the body can tolerate a little bit more. Uh, as well, uh, and often, you know, eating, eating, trying to eat right all the time is a control mechanism for other things that perhaps are not right in their life. And it's easy to kind of divert it into if I just eat right, I'll be all right. Uh, when actually, sometimes there are other things going on which might, you know, give you more leverage in terms of feeling better or performing better. So, um, yeah, it's always, it's always, you're always taken as a whole. Um, but kind of going back to your point about, you know, things that you can do, I mean, you want to be thinking about, again, like, you know, real clear building blocks. So, you know, what's the, uh, um, you know, I'm a big fan of basically not just kind of piling things into your system if you don't need them. Big fan of doing kind of like, you know, blood spot, fatty acid profiling, so looking at the balance of all the omega-3, 6, 7, and 9s, uh, making sure that, you know, you've got really good levels of those, but making sure that, you know, if you take too much, you can kind of cause problems just as if you have too little. Uh, so thinking about that, I think yeah, there's a lot of good stuff on kind of the immune function and vitamin D, vitamin A, vitamin E, thinking about those. Uh, and then there's huge amounts of different kind of evidence and you know, evidence base out there for um, for kind of like probiotics. But then it's a there's you know such a diverse amount of research, and it's dependent upon the strains, you know, who's produced it, how they've been produced, how they've been encapsulated. So kind of I, I, what I think is is hard for people is to try and sort through, yeah. uh, sort through the noise because my goodness, there is so much noise out there. People are just in overwhelm in terms of information overwhelm, and again, it comes down to just pick and choose maybe two or three sources for your information. Keep it simple. Feel comfortable with it. Don't get overwhelmed with it, and do the basics right. Uh, so for me, if I talk about you know things that I you know I can talk to myself probably because it doesn't really kind of cross any lines. The things that I do to look after myself. So uh, I do you know do some you know vitamin D or vitamin D complex, which is some A and E in it as well. I'm looking at you know some kind of like nice high dose uh, omega three fish oils. Um, as kind of like, you know, re- really kind of, you know, core. Uh, if I'm doing heavy training, I might look at some colostrum as well, uh, you know, because it's been shown to be really good for those, that, that leaky gut barrier. Uh, those are kind of being, you know, kind of like my kind of like real kind of key foundational things. Uh, definitely keep some probe, some really good probiotics in the, uh, in the, in the fridge. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, those for me are really, really, yeah, key and magnesium. I'm a, you know, for me, you know, still trying to, you know, do lots of exercise. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of magnesium, both magnesium, it's a glycinate, uh, like a chelate, uh, which I take kind of in the morning or pre-training, and then I love taking uh, something like a magnesium three and eight, which is a sort of a magnesium bound to uh, L three and eight, which is kind of magnesium that's shown to kind of be really good for brain uh, and kind of unwinding the brain as well at the end of the day comes back down to that sleep thing and actually i started to 
use that as a result to love him or hate him. Charles Poliquin is a you know <laughs> is a is a is a, is a wealth of knowledge. Uh, I know he's uh, divides it divides opinion, but my goodness, you got to respect the man for what he's done in the last you know sort of uh, sort of thirty forty years. But listening to him on uh, some of his kind of sleep hygiene and the way he basically recovers and uh, was really like I started to read the research on. Uh, magnesium uh, three and eight and and looking at that as a as not only a way to kind of rest my mind but a way to recover as well from from lots of exercise so yeah those are you know those, those are kind of the kind of key foundational things and then there's just so much other stuff out there you know really around you know whether or not you know to use kefir or you know natural yogurts or kombucha uh and I think I kind of come back to that thing as like, you know, you, you got to start with the basics. Uh, you know, a lot of the prebiotics, so all the things you get from your fruit and vegetables, are the things which basically create a healthy environment for for the gut. Uh, so, you know, obviously, you know, that, that is going to be absolutely foundational. Uh, it's really, really important. And just making sure that, you know, we're not exposed to any excessive antibiotics, uh, you know, through meats, any excessive antibiotics through dairy products, uh, through endogenous toxins from the environment. All of these things do play a big, a big role as well. Dare I ask where you stand in the great gluten debate? You've got to ask your opinion on that. Uh, I think there's a bit too much focus on it. Yeah. Yeah. I th- you know, okay. and that's... Uh, I think that's that classic thing. I think you know, yeah, we. It's def- I mean, we know that it's you know, the gluten kind of being en- you know engineered over time. I think it's definitely kind of part of a problem for some people. Uh, but I heard a really good interview with uh, Fasano again the other day, who's sort of bit, you know kind of the, you know the major researcher that a lot of the kind of I would say uh, I'm not going to yeah focused uh, kind of individuals in and around kind of how focused they are around kind of like avoiding gluten. Um, I think it's. Yeah, I, I, I don't see it as the body's designed to deal with proteins that haven't been broken down, just like it's designed to deal with yeah, bacteria and toxins and things like that. I think it's the load rather than the problem in itself of you know gluten. Again, it's, you know, I'm, a, I'm a massive believer in you know it's how much you eat rather than you know what you eat yeah. of individuals. You know the body can can deal with a lot. So. Uh, but then there's, you know, there is overwhelming evidence, you know, you know, in, in certain kind of like you know areas. Uh, but you know, maybe if you're going to choose grains and eat them, maybe eat some of the kind of the, the sort of uh, the more ancestral uh, ancestral grains. Uh, you know, maybe may, may, maybe that suits you better. And there's a lot of a lot of people do feel do feel better um, for whether or not it's eating you know camet or spelt or things like that as well. Uh, so I don't know. I think people are going to make up their own minds. But I would say. For most people, I think sometimes it can be a bit of a red herring. My belief is that sometimes it's better to kind of go back to those kind of, you know, real, real foundational aspects uh, before you start, you know, just kind of overly focusing on just one food group as being the problem, you know, the, the source of all your ills. Yeah, no, I mean, we're, we're exactly the same. And, you know, and again, you know, we're going to use that word. It comes back to getting that balance. So, so long mm. as you're not, you know, troughing 15 slices of bread a day and having pasta at every meal or whatever... You know, chances are you'd be fine. But um, I mean, I suppose I, I suppose you see it on Facebook as well with the kind of like the the big deal with coconut oil now, because apparently that's the you know the cause of all evil. Uh, you know, after having its few years as being the best thing since sliced bread, yeah, and, and everyone's kind of asking us, "What's your view? What's your view?" And it's like, well, you know, as long as you're not drinking pints of the stuff, I'm sure you'd be absolutely fine. 
And again, as, sort of, as long as there's balance across the board, you know, don't start worrying about coconut oil or gluten or whatever. You know, look at it as a whole and stop trying to point the finger at one thing, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what it is. And it comes back, you know, and that, I would say exactly the same. I mean, great thing about coconut oil, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's saturated just like lard. So it's not going to change when you heat, when you heat it up, unlike the kind of the polyunsaturated fat. So you're like heating up, you know, kind of turning a really nice olive oil into some kind of uh, you know toxic oil by you know but by heating it up too much um, but but at the same time yeah if you're just literally just like now living on living on coconut oil and some people do better on it some people do better on high fat diets than others you know, yeah. it's a great kind of like exactly, and yeah. you know to do with uh, you know I definitely believe that you know we should be it's better to probably be eating higher fat than higher sugar for sure but what does that look like for different people? You know, there's a, you know, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't do as well on a really high fat diet. I know that. Um, so, you know, I do better on a, on a, on a high, really high vegetable, higher protein with small, with smaller amounts of kind of polyunsaturated fats. That's just the way that I've kind of worked it out for me. Uh, but other people, yeah, again, but you know, there's kind of variations, aren't there? And I think that's comes down to that map. It's that overview. So it's like when you're looking at the GI, you know, you got to, you got to look at you know, sort of, you know, the overview of what's kind of going on. I mean, the great, there are loads of other great things about, you know, so if you take monolaurin, which is a compound of, of, of coconut oil, you know, been shown to have really good kind of uh, effect on, uh, it's kind of like an antiviral in the naturopathic community. Uh, monolaurin, uh, you know, is also pretty sparing on the normal bacteria uh, as well. So in relative terms, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a good fat, but mm. would I want to be eating it as my primary fat all the time? personally no i think that's you know it's got a whole host of problems as well and it's probably a lot of it's dependent upon genetics yeah, uh, upon your individual say. makeup mm. what your you know kind of how you metabolize fats all of those sorts of things are uh you know are going to definitely going to be built into that awesome humphrey it's been a great episode mate um got a load of other questions i could ask you but we're reaching that hour threshold which we try and keep things out this is actually quite good for us actually isn't it yeah in fact actually i'll tell you i'll be completely honest with you what has kept us accountable is that keris uh, actually has a client booked in <laughs> afterwards yes. so maybe we should do this more often yeah this keeps us accountable to that, that, yeah. that hour deadline well, we but um it. but yeah humphrey it's been it's been fantastic mate yeah, thank, thank you very you much so for much. the time that's um, all right thanks where if you got he... like you know if you do get lots of questions coming through i mean you know do collate them and if you want to invite me back and i can just kind oh, of uh, no, no, no. just want to kind of like you know just sometimes you know i've, I've done that before with people they just kind of fire back with like loads of questions i can just ask them one by one and that might be quite fun so yeah, yeah, yeah let me know how you get on and uh yeah it's been really great chatting to you it'd be great to do some um, some cases with you maybe some people write in yeah about some case studies yeah, yeah that'd, that'd be, be pretty cool it'd be really yeah, interesting brilliant. Um, but where can people find out a little bit more about um about you and um it's really simple so you can just go to our website that's the best thing so it's www and it's in vivo so that's i-n-v-i-v-o and then clinical in vivo clinical.co.uk uh, if you want any support, uh, you know, you can uh, just drop us an email, either info at invivoclinical.co.uk or support at invivoclinical.co.uk. Um, and, yeah, we've got a team of people happy to answer questions and, uh, yeah, they'll put you in the right direction if you need some help. Awesome. Awesome. It's been a pleasure, mate. Yeah, enjoy, so enjoy the rest of the day and the week. And uh, That's great. Yeah, we'll no doubt chat to you again soon. Yeah, perfect. All right, thanks, both. Thank Cheers, you. buddy. Bye. And thank you. Bye, everybody thanks. else. We'll see you in episode number nine. 90. Bye. Yeah.